Our passage this afternoon comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. Let's bow our hearts today. Father in heaven, we love you. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we praise you this day for the good news of the gospel. We praise you for your son. Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for his sinless life. We bless your name for his vicarious death. Lord, that he gave himself up as a willing substitute. In our place, condemned he stood. God, thank you for what this means for us, that by turning from our sin and putting our trust in him, we can be reconciled to you. We can be adopted into your family, made citizens of your kingdom, live forever with you as joint heirs with Christ. God, we praise your holy name. Lord, all of this is owing to your wonderful grace. God, you deserve everlasting praise because of it. Lord, I'm so grateful and comforted by the good news that you you continue to work through the foolishness of preaching. And I pray that you would be pleased on this very day to do a work in the hearts of all those who are present in this room. Father, that you would strengthen the faith of your people, that you would grant saving faith to those that are lost, that remain dead in their trespasses and sins. I pray that you would draw them in. I pray as we hear once again of the loveliness of Christ, of the saving power of our God, that every soul would come to delight in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, do you ever find yourself in the position 
where the, the challenges and the afflictions and the pressures and the cares of life loom so large that they threaten to overburden you. Do you ever feel so wearied, so weighed down by things in your life, you get to the point of being so disheartened that you, you don't even want to go to God? You don't even want to pray. Still more to the point of this passage, do you ever feel so vexed and troubled by the persecutions and the injustices that the people of God face in this world that you are tempted to give yourself over to despair? What's the way forward? Jesus has a a clear word for us here today. He says, you ought always to pray and not lose heart. These words were first spoken to his early disciples who just like us found themselves caught between the already and the not yet of the kingdom, living between that time of the reality of their present inclusion as uh, children of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, and that blessed hope, that which is to come, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, when our Savior is going to come and he is going to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. We live between the first and the second advent of Christ, that interim period, which indeed is fraught with all kinds of troubles and persecutions and trials and tribulations. All of the things that Jesus Christ promised would be the case for those that would follow after him, for his disciples. Well, these things make us long for him. They make us long for Christ's return. In that way, this, this passage that we're looking at is still very much linked to where we have been, to what we have been looking at. It links us back to chapter 17 and verse 22, uh, where Jesus tells his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. You're going to have this longing within the heart for Christ to come and bring the consummation of, 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 the, of his kingdom in all of its unmitigated glory. Well, what is the posture of the believer to be while we wait? What's the posture of the believer to be until that day? Well, distilled down into one line of counsel, you ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's the mentality. That's the posture. That's the activity that the believer is to take up as he hopes in Christ's return. As he is filled with that anxious expectation of the return of the Son of God. So chapter 18 isn't a new thought. Actually, it is very much, you could say, the high point of Christ's teaching on the kingdom, particularly as we think about those not yet aspects 
of, of the kingdom. Those, those not yet aspects of God's good and gracious work in the world. While we think of the sufferings of this present time and we hold them up with the glory that is to be revealed, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. While we, Romans 8, groan eagerly, awaiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, the hope in which we were saved, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. This parable is somewhat unique because normally uh, you have a parable given and then Jesus gives the interpretation of the parable, or occasionally the, the interpretation is just left to the, the reader. Here, you don't have that. You have a, a, a very plain, direct statement. It's just one line, and then it is propounded and further illustrated, uh, illustrated by way of a parable. It's, it's the only parable like it. Now, before we get to the parable, I want to look at that one line. I want to look at the exhortation itself. And you can see there, it it has both a positive and a negative injunction to it. First, there is the enjoinder given. Uh, They ought always to pray. Followers of Jesus Christ, uh, those who trust in him for salvation, men who put their faith in uh, the cleansing that Jesus's shed blood affords, those who hope in the glory of his return ought always to pray. And we don't have nearly enough time to rehearse all of the passages uh, in the Bible given over to this theme, but suffice it to say, this is the teaching of the whole counsel of God, that the people of God are to be a praying people, a people who are always seeking the face of God, uh, those who pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Colossians 4, 2, continually, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 7, pray without ceasing. That that is but the smallest sampling of the Scripture's unified teaching on this theme. Always be giving yourself over to heartfelt communion with the Lord. Seek his face. Pray continually. Men ought always to be praying. And and then comes the, the negative, what you ought not to do. And do not lose heart. That's the complementary phrase uh, to you ought always to, to pray. And I love this half of the exhortation because there's something so simple 
and, and, and yet so profound in what Jesus says to his disciples here, which is that he assumes you're going to be tempted to lose heart. The, this whole section of Scripture is predicated on the fact that believers are going to face circumstances which at times are going to seem so dire and are going to to be apparently so hopeless that you're going to feel like giving up. You're going to want in your flesh to lose heart and that's going to affect your prayer life. Jesus knows you're going to have difficulty praying. Isn't that good to hear? Isn't that, isn't that helpful to you as you think about what Jesus is saying? Just mark that in your mind. Jesus knows you're going to have seasons in your life when you have difficulty praying, and so he speaks directly to it. Don't you love the realism of Scripture? He takes head on the, the spiritual weariness the saints of God are tempted towards. But see also that he doesn't just admit the fact that we may grow disheartened. He actually commands the disposition of the heart. He commands the disposition of our hearts. He doesn't leave us to say, well, this is just how I feel. He tells us to let our hearts be strengthened as we go to him in prayer, to, to put it positively. He says, take heart. Don't let your heart feel discouraged. Do you at times feel dejected and dismayed? Are you disinclined to go to the Lord? Well, say to yourself, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. You preach to yourself. You incline the disposition of your heart toward the Lord. Now let's see it illustrated. It's one thing to say you ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's another thing to see that idea uh, vividly portrayed. That's why parables are, are so helpful. Sometime more than a year ago, when we started in the book of Luke, somebody asked me, why Luke? Why are we going to preach through Luke, apart from the fact that it's a wonderful book? I love the parables. The parables are so helpful uh, to, to, to understanding the nature of the Christian life. Aside from that, Jesus is the best storyteller on earth. This particular story centers around two key figures. First, you have a judge. If you look at verse 2, Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. Now, church, just notice there how this, this man is being held up against both tables of the law. And in both respects, he has utterly failed. First, he does not fear the Lord. That, that's the starting place of all faithful spiritual leadership and governance, let alone having a right relationship with God yourself. 
But if a man is going to lead uh, those who are under his authority, whether that is in the civic realm like this man or in his business or in his home, he must first walk in the fear of the Lord himself. He has to be a God-fearing man, a man that reverences the Lord. When Jehoshaphat was appointing judges in Judah, this was his, his chief point of concern. Uh, the very first thing he said was, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for Yahweh. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of Yahweh be upon you. This judge, the judge in our story, doesn't fear the Lord. He, he doesn't fear God. Neither does he respect man. He, he doesn't have any concern for justice. He doesn't have any compassion for his, his fellow man. If you just look at him through the lens of uh, Romans 13, recognizing that, that governing authorities are, are there, they are appointed as God's ministers for good, uh, they are there to avenge uh, the wrong, uh, the, the, uh, the wrongdoing. They carry out God's wrath. What do we see in this man? He's guilty of, of dereliction of duty. He, he does not respect man. Now, you look at the other figure in this story. Uh, into this man's court walks a widow someone that doesn't have any power. She doesn't have any clout. We don't know exactly what her situation was, except that some injustice has been done to her. And so she comes to this man who does have power. He has the God-ordained authority to carry out justice on her behalf, and she makes her appeal to him. She says, give me justice against my adversary. There are multiple layers to this story that, that make it especially gripping and compelling. There, there is the fact on, 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 in the first case that she is a widow. That means that she's especially vulnerable. This is why uh, when, you, when, you, when you look at the demographics that the Lord is especially concerned uh, for his people to watch over, he consistently charges uh, those in places of authority to watch over the sojourner, uh, the fatherless, and the widow. They're always at the top of the list. Why? Because they're the ones that need an advocate. They're the ones that require and deserve special attention, special ministry and care because they are the most easily exploited and, and taken advantage of. So the fact that this woman is there at all and uh, there's, there's no one there going to bat on her behalf makes this just a especially tragic situation. No one is there lobbying for her. That's very unusual in itself. And then you have this lousy judge whose divine assignment is, is to plead the widow's cause. 
and he's not doing it. He refuses to help her. Now, we come to verse 4, and it says this, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, there's, there's almost the suggestion in the fact that he actually gives voice to this, even, even if it's in his mind, that he takes pride in the fact that he doesn't care what other people think about him. Though I neither fear God nor respect man. He, he has this reputation as a hardened, godless, unjust man, and he's not embarrassed by it. The, the really astounding thing about this picture is that given that that is the fact, given that that is the case, this precious woman keeps coming. She keeps coming, hounding him. And you can kind of imagine her showing up around the corner when he's at the market. And every Monday morning, there she is in the, in the courtroom saying, okay, give me justice against my adversary until he is finally worn down. She has been overlooked. She has been disrespected, neglected, and slighted, but she keeps returning. She's relentless, which is why this judge says what he does. Because she keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so she won't beat me down. Now, most translations actually soften the language a little bit here. They'll say something like, well, I'll give her justice lest she wear me out or lest she weary me. The ESV actually does a pretty good job here with the words beat me down because the word actually comes originally from the world of, of boxing. In, in the context, it, it's, it's used a, as a figure of speech, but literally it means to give someone a black eye. So, so you got a, a kind of a, a humorous picture here if you imagine this helpless widow, and she has this powerful judge backed into a corner by virtue of sheer persistence. Which brings us to the application in verse 6. Look there, if you, with, if you will, with me. Uh, Jesus says this, first, simply, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Notice what he says there. Notice who he's pointing to. First, Jesus says, we need to let sink into our ears what the unrighteous judge says. What does the unrighteous judge say? He says, I will give her justice. So this wicked man relents. He listens. But I want you to see how it is emphasized three times over in this passage that at least in one respect, this judge is not representative of the Lord and his dealings with us. It says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. The judge himself says the same thing, though I neither fear God nor respect man. 
Third time, Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, you know that this passage is in many ways about prayer. We're, we're, we're about to get down to some of the nuts and bolts of prayer. Jesus has told us already we ought always to pray, but first he makes it unmistakably clear this is an unrighteous judge. So don't get it in your heads that you have got to wear the Lord down before he will hear you. Don't draw that conclusion. Don't believe that there is some divine system established where you have to prove your earnestness by coming to God a certain number of times before he will hear you. That's not true. It's not the teaching of this passage. That would be to draw the wrong conclusion. This is a study both in parallels and contrasts. Jesus draws attention both to points of continuity between the judge and the father and discontinuity. Having heard what the unrighteous judge says, look at, look at how things continue in verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The anticipated answer being, yes, yes, he will. He will give justice to those who cry to him, to his elect. If an unjust judge will give justice to one who cries, how much more will God, the righteous judge, give justice to those who cry out to him? You see that he he is arguing from the lesser to the greater. So, like the unrighteous judge, God will listen. He will listen to his children who lift up their voices, who cry out to him for mercy. Those who call on his name are assured that their their petitions will not just evaporate into the ether. They're going to be heard. But unlike the unrighteous judge, God doesn't act on our behalf because he's perturbed, but because he's just. He isn't moved to answer because we're a nuisance to him, but because he loves us. He loves us, brothers and sisters. He loves to hear the cries of his people. 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. They're open to our prayers. Praise God that the ears of God are open to the cry of his people. The choice of of, of the word elect just serves to solidify that, that word of assurance even further in our hearts here. Will not God give justice to his Elect, brothers and sisters, what does, what does that mean? You are God's chosen ones. The idea of, of, of election in the scriptures is so often linked with his sovereign grace and his love toward his people. The Lord told Israel, Yahweh your God has chosen you, 
There it is, election to be a people for his treasured possession. Treasured possession. To Solomon, uh, the word uh, spoke, that word of, of chosenness, it spoke of adopting love. He said, I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. You are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you, you see the theme? You see it. So be gone, unbelief. Be gone, that attitude of, of despair and dismay. That, that spirit that would have you slip into spiritual slumber and depression and never rouse yourself to take hold of God. God will give justice. He won't forsake his people. Cry out to him. Psalm 94. O Lord, God of justice, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Yahweh, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and murder the fatherless. And they say, Yahweh does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? You see, dear ones, the kind of prayer that we're talking about in this context, isn't prayer for a new car or prayer for a better job or for a spouse or for a good parking spot. It is prayer that God would set right things in the world. It is prayer that God would show his justice for the sake of his elect and the glory of his name. It's prayer that trusts God for final vindication in the world, in the, in the face of all the injustices and wrongs, especially against his chosen ones. It's the kind of prayer you find in Revelation chapter 6, where that, that fifth seal is broken open, and the souls who had been slain For the word of God and the witness they had borne cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. To this kind of longing, the Lord Jesus tells his disciples, God will give justice. He will be faithful. You can trust him. He adds even more fortification for our souls, even more assurance 
to our hearts and minds when he says, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now there's a little bit of tension here and that Jesus speaks of speedy action and yet his people go on crying day and night. This particular verse is the subject of much debate. Uh, One particular commentator traces out 12 different possible interpretations. You will be glad to know we are not going to walk through all of those today. The heart of the matter uh, comes down to how we understand the word speedily. And uh, the question at hand can be put like this. Is Jesus pointing to when, on the scale of time, he will come, saying that it won't be long before he comes? Or is he directing our attention to the manner of his appearing? To put it another way, will he give justice in short order, or will justice happen suddenly? And abruptly, I would submit to you that the context favors the latter view, that Jesus is not speaking in terms of the imminence of his return, but rather how suddenly it takes place when it does. And if you look back at the examples that he gave at the end of chapter 17, they seem to favor that. Uh, he says in chapter 17 and verse 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You remember how he says the same was true in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. In the same way, we have the sure word of the Lord that he will put things right on the day of Christ's return. Now, things may seem slow in coming. It may feel like the Lord Jesus is delayed, but when he comes, justice will come speedily. It will come suddenly. And so what do we do? Like the widow, we go on crying to the Lord day and night, knowing God will give justice. Knowing God will give justice to his elect. That's our hope. Today is the day for faith to be set into action. For us to grow as a church, as praying people. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. We see perseverance praised in this passage. That's one of the big lessons of this text. There are going to be those times when you don't feel like praying. There are going to be times when your prayers don't seem to get off the ground or they they hit those proverbial uh, brass heavens, but never mind your feelings, go on praying. 
Go on seeking the face of God, rule over your feelings by the grace of God. When Monday morning rolls around and you don't feel like getting out of bed or Wednesday night rolls around and the church has been called to pray, men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray. Lift up your voice. Call upon the name of the Lord. Arouse yourself. Take hold of God and don't you dare let go. Cling to him. Sometimes in the Christian life, it is the ought you must respond to, not the want. And so you push on through. You discipline yourself for the purpose of of godliness. And little by little, the ought becomes the want the inclination of the heart, the affections of the heart begin to change. I trust you can see the connection between what Jesus has given us here, between the crying out day and night and those affirmatives that were given in verse 7 and 8, God's dealings with his people. What I mean is this, it is the Lord's character and his dealings with men that provide the real spiritual encouragement to go to him in prayer and to persist in doing so. Isn't, isn't that what Jesus is wanting to catch here, wanting us to catch here? Isn't that what he is pressing upon the heart, the graciousness, the justice of God, the Lord's readiness to hear us, his disposition toward us. Will he not give us justice? Yes, we ought always to pray, but look at who you get to go to. Look at the one you get to pray to. This is one of the the real challenges that comes with preaching about prayer. There's probably no other uh, topic that a pastor could preach on that could more quickly bring into sharper focus our lack of spiritual discipline than the subject of prayer. I can't think of, of anything where it's, it's easier to produce guilt in the heart of man, but brothers and sisters, guilt doesn't change us. Guilt is not what changes us. Batting you over the head saying, you ought always to pray isn't going to change you. It won't do you a lick of good. And this passage doesn't do that either. Yes, this passage says you ought always to pray. That much is true, but it says much more than that. It tells us about our God. It says to us, get a sense of the one to whom you go. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let your heart be buoyed, not because you have a perfect prayer life, not because you say perfect prayers, not because you're eloquent, but because you have a good and a gracious and a just God, one who has given his son as a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We have a Savior who has been treated unjustly. When he was reviled, he did not revile 
in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. He gave up his life on the cross that we might have access, that we might have access to the throne of grace where mercy and grace is found in abundant supply to help those who call on him in time of need. Now, are you in a time of need? Are you someone who finds yourself in need of the grace and mercy that is found at the throne of God? Do you have need of the Lord? There's going to be a direction your sinful heart is inclined, this text tells us, when things are at their worst, and that's not to run to God. It will be to despair. It will be to grow uh, disheartened. Perhaps at times you will begin to wallow in self-pity and pride, and you'll begin to tell yourself, I deserve better. I deserve better than what I have got. To that kind of heart attitude, Jesus gives us a widow. Earlier, Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, it's not spoken, but it is similarly implied. See what a desperate widow does. Jesus purposefully chose someone that would call to mind a soul in great need. Someone that was vulnerable, someone that was weak, someone who was needy, someone that was frail, can you see yourself there? That's really where Christ leaves us. At the end of verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's the, the matching bookend to chapter 17 and verse 20. You remember the Pharisees' question about when the kingdom of God would come? Well, now we have the whole teaching laid out. Jesus has said that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It is here. It's it's here in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the question, as, as we come to see now, is not when will the kingdom of God come, but rather, given that it is here, how will you respond? How will you respond? Will you put your faith and confidence in Christ that you might be found in him when he returns? You can see here the faith that he is looking for is a faith not that simply adheres to certain theological tenets, not that simply believes certain things are true, but a faith that clings to God in active trust and believing prayer. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. So let's pray. Our gracious Father, Lord, we we do find ourselves so inclined to rely on our own understanding. Lord, instead of trusting you with all of our heart, we We go our own way, 
we go astray and we, we grow disheartened. Our, our hearts become full of doubt and unbelief and we don't seek you as we ought. And we pray for your forgiveness in this. Lord, we pray that you would wash us clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for the encouragement that this text provides to us. I thank you, Lord, for this reminder of your faithfulness and righteousness and the promises that we have in your word, that you will set all things right in the world. Lord, we do long for that day. We long for the day when Christ will come to judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Until then, God, I I ask that you would grant us as your people today the grace to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we would rejoice in hope, that we would be patient in tribulation, we would be constant in prayer, Help us in this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.